0: Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that these stories will help you find ways to engage in your own communities as we work together for a more just and loving world. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy.
1: Hey, Mandy. Hey, Marta. It's good to be back at this second episode of Season 5, where we are turning over tables. Heck yeah, we are. turning tables over is, you know, it's an act of struggle. But it's also while exercising freedom. Right. Interesting. You know, so it is, it is both of those things. For most, this table turning happens in the face of um, some kind of oppression or structures that are super stifling. I know I have felt... That structures can feel like I can't be as imaginative or experimental as I'd like to be. Mm -hmm. So table turning comes out of lament, but also it also has a bit of like in the sort of act of table turning, um, you get these sort of these glimpses of hope. Of a different future, a future that is transformed and exciting. And so in this episode, we are lifting up a scripture text where women are taking the lead.
0: We kind of like that.
1: We sure do. (laughs) And this is unprecedented for the first century, as most of you know who engage in our Christian biblical text. That is to say that stories of women continue to reside at the margins and have... Not been lifted up over the centuries in our Western religious
0: understanding, right? Because there are some things in there that just don't get lifted up, right? That's what you're saying there.
1: There are lots of women who were a part of our biblical um, stories and sacred text and were awesome followers of Jesus, but you know they hadn't, they have not been central, right, to our Christian te- teachings, right. and so. Um, Mandy and I will talk, obviously, from this particular particular lens, uh, um, because we are women.
0: We are. And it's true.
1: We're leading the church, and we're teaching biblical text. Um, but if you are a person whose story has been ignored within the boundaries of the Christian church, as women's stories often happen, we hope you listen up. This podcast is for you. If you are a person whose story is familiar within the Christian church, like you know, if you're a man white straight, we hope you listen up to <laughs> this podcast is for you as well.
0: And to all the LGBTQ plus people whose stories don't exist in these spaces, to the immigrants that feel invisible, to the BIPOC community, we hope you listen up too. For the children who are sent out of worship, for the poor, for the homeless that are feared in our current society. We love you and we are all about turning over the tables so that you can find yourself in the church. Also, as always, be sure to listen to the end because we will share some good news with you where Jesus is showing up right here and now.
1: So the scripture text that Is guiding us like on a broad sense throughout this entire um, season is that moment when Jesus went into the temple to turn over the tables. Right, and we
0: really explore that in episode one of this season. Um, So if you haven't listened to that one, you might, you know, think about just pausing for a second, go back to that one. You don't have to, it's certainly not necessary, but it does give some context.
1: But each episode, we are we do have a different scripture text right. um, that will guide our specific conversation for the episode. And so the scripture text that guides us this week is from Acts chapter sixteen, and you can start anywhere around that first verse, but um, we're going to start between verses nine and thirteen when Paul has this vision um, in the night to go um, on foot. Um, and spread the good news. And so he ends up um, in the district of Macedonia. Um, it's a Roman colony. And it's on the Sabbath day. Um, and he finds a group of women um, outside of. Um, like just on the edge of the riverside, so they're by the water, and I think they're actually even under a tree in some versions of this. Mm-hmm. I, or maybe I just imagine that because that sounds like a lovely thing to do yeah. on the Sabbath. Is yeah, to that church is great. Underneath a tree, um, they're sitting on the ground, and and the woman that is sort of leading this group is a woman named Lydia, um, who is. You know, quite a professional, um, I'm sure she wouldn't use that word, mm-hmm. um, in that part of the world. And she sa- sells purple goods. Um, fabric is the way I always sort mm-hmm. of thought about that. And she worships. She worships God. Um, she loves God. And um, so she was curious. Um, curiosity is an important word in this. She was curious when Paul and his buddy showed up. On this Sabbath Sabbath day to join them um, while they were praying and she listened to him and she ended up getting baptized Um, and then the awesome part of it is that she had such awesome radical hospitality that she invited them all to their home which is also unprecedented in the first century because she wasn't married and women didn't have that kind of agency or right. leadership or power but Lydia was a badass and she really so was she invited them all to have a meal with them in their home uh so that is our scripture text this morning I want you to sort of think about that think about what that imagine that in your brain what does that look like um how does that feel how does that sit with you um and so Mandy how does how does that sit with you
0: yeah, I mean, I think that I have some familiarity with this story. Lydia is, um, you know, as we discussed earlier, there are these kind of shining moments when women get lifted up in the um, biblical text. And Lydia is one of those, um, I think, especially in the New Testament and the Gospels, you um, there kind of fewer. There's there's a lot of really strong women in the Hebrew Bible, um, and that seems to be a little bit less of the story for the New Testament. It's true. But Lydia is one of those um, women, you know, who who pops up, and you know, I think um, the fact that she was kind of a norm breaker even in those days is. Um, is super powerful. And I feel like she's one of those people that I want to know more about. It's so interesting, right? Like you said, um, maybe you imagined that tree. And I think um, the way that you just told this story of what the scripture text says and implies and the things that we imagine um, is frankly so much more engaging than the actual scripture text on paper, right? Um, we debated whether we were going to read the scripture text as written, um, but then Marta just told us this story and I think it's so much more compelling because then you get to imagine um, what Lydia was like. We won't actually know her, but um, selling purple goods, she probably was a fairly wealthy woman because um, purple was the color of royalty And you didn't get to um, wear that color unless you had quite a bit of money. So the people selling that color probably also had a little bit of money. And um, she had some level of power and agency in her world. And she used it to gather with other seemingly strong and capable women. Um, So I think I, I just feel a little bit of an affinity to her. I want... I want to find those opportunities to do that in my own context, in my own little um, corner of the world, you know?
1: Right. I mean, I do think that so many people have focused on Paul's role Mm -hmm. in that story Mm -hmm. rather than um, Lydia's. And I think for me, when when I imagine that story, and I'm thinking about sort of the church broadly, Um, And what we're doing sort of to flatten our structures of church and figure out where meaning is in this time and place, um, particularly in the progressive church, the first thing that came to mind was not even gender all the way. Um, Paul could have um, been a woman, or non-binary, and Lydia could have been a man, it didn't matter, but it was it was those people on the Sabbath, gathering in a small group, on the ground, uh, like on the edge of the riverside, under a tree, telling their story, and praying, and telling their story, and praying, and it reminded me of, um, and I think a lot of people out there can, can Um, relate to this, it reminded me of support groups Mm -hmm. um, that we often go to um, for different reasons. I know that my husband and I have gone to the National Alliance on Mental Health um, NAMI support groups, and we all sit in a circle, and we all have a chance to talk. There's not someone talking at us. We tell our own personal story. We all come from wildly different social locations um, and cultural backgrounds. Like there is there could be parents, mothers, single mothers there that are impoverished and their loved one is in jail because that's the safest place for their loved one to be. Um, there could be another person there that has more resources that is able to help their loved one within the home and provide that kind of support. But none of that matters. We all could come sit on the ground under a tree and tell our story. So that was sort of the first thing I thought of when we're thinking about meaning making in the church and sort of turning over tables. What does that look like in our current context? And then the other interesting thing I thought of was, was my mom, um, and because she's a powerful woman, I hope that she listens to this episode, um, and she sort of, uh, came up in her professional life in first, second wave feminism, mm-hmm. um, and just for all of you out there. I think we're deep into late late second phase, third, fourth phase feminism, FYI. And so um, women have shifted and changed and learned and grown so much since the late 70s and um, 80s and early 90s even. Um, But she she would have been that person that's like, I want to do Sabbath. I don't, I'm not. I'm not married, though she was married, but the, but like I'm thinking about Lydia. She wasn't married. I want to do the Sabbath. Um, I'm going to gather my other ladies in town, and we don't even know what all those ladies' social locations were. We don't know if they were at the same location as her. We don't know if they weren't, but she's like, I'm going to gather all these women, and I'm going to do this Sabbath, and it's not going to be at, you know, traditional with my blood relatives around a table. Um, lighting candles and having a breaking bread there. It's going to be outside. And so it's like completely barrier-breaking, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I love this whole story that centers on women's experience um, in the religious tradition. Um, Paul obviously saw something special as he approached these powerful people um, and wanted and thought oh like I need to convince them I need to evangelize I need to spread this good news and those those that group of women clearly knows what they're doing but I think so. so many of us look at the text and we think oh Lydia just submitted to Paul she was like you know oh he knows what he's talking about but I don't actually think that's really how it went down i don't think she simply said okay paul i believe you because you're a man and you're an apostle of jesus and um you're spreading this good news and i've got to follow suit i don't actually think that's how it went down at all i think so many of the times we see paul as that sort of that clerical person um with power and education and um so that was spreading this news of a budding institution. Um, But all of this interpretation comes through the lens of patriarchal imagination. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we have been taught to do, is to look at our biblical text through that patriarchal imagination. so anyway, I don't think, I don't actually think Lydia was submitting. I think there is another way to interpret this text.
0: Right. So Lydia is is probably giving the side eye, right, as if to tell us, um, that's actually not it. That's not how I became a Christian. That's not how I entered into this relationship with Jesus at all. You know, Lydia's sitting there, and these other women are communing together, and I mean, Marta, you and I know this, right? We sometimes commune with our other women, and the guys come up. And that may or may not change the dynamic, right?
1: There's been times when like some men have said things, and Mandy's like... And I felt like I needed to believe them. Uh Like, oh, I have to take this seriously. And Mandy's like... You know they're not always right. You don't always have to believe them. And I'm like, right. oh yeah, you're you're right. Actually, that's that's interesting.
0: So these these guys walk up to these women under the tree. I can't get away from that image now. Um, and their leadership style is unknown and hidden, basically because the patriarchy cannot comprehend anything else. The the gathered women actually have more power and agency than actually comes across in this text. The men might have thought that they convinced these women, um, but feminine theology, theory, and liturgy tells us otherwise. This group gathered for the Sabbath was already meeting outside of the bounds of the traditional household or temple in a variety of different ways.
1: Yeah, so the context um, of this women gathering, I, I, I think, I mean, you know, everybody's going to look at this text in a different way, but is rooted in storytelling um, and banter and then probably sporadic, like, let's pray, and then someone tells a story, and then someone super else Super organic. Like, yeah, it's super organic, let's pray again, and and there was lots of question asking um, So there wasn't absolutes or, you know, you have to do it this way or here are the answers to your questions, but really like dialoguing and just natural conversation. Um, they owned their group. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul did not own their group. Right. They owned their group. Um, so when Paul came up, it could have been anyone. It could have been a child, it could have been another woman woman, it um it could have been um a, a peasant man. Mm-hmm. They I don't think they cared. They were invitational and they were hospitable to whoever came their way and had something to um tell them or an invitation to a new way or um oh, like, we want you to be followers of Jesus. Um, but it was what they did. Like, they were just radically hospitable. Like, okay, come and join us. We're, this is the Sabbath day. Um, women's power is usually, but not always, grounded in relationship and radical hospitality. Right. And so, but again, that power is not recognized all the mm-hmm, way, right? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And I think in feminist theology, there's this grounding of experimentalism, right? Which is often born casual, more fluid attitude toward liturgy and to sacred communities. It's less um, rule-following and um, step stepwise motion, right? It is um, much more relational and fluid. And I think most importantly, there is a commitment to shared leadership. Which was
1: hard then, and like it continues to be super hard. It's super hard.
0: These women were open to new ideas and creative thoughts, new stories. And so we've used this word a couple of times now, this patriarchal language, right? When we talk about patriarchal versus non-patriarchal leadership or hierarchical versus non-hierarchical leadership, what we're really talking about is this desire for a commitment to shared leadership that values and recognizes the strengths and gifts of all the people at the table. A leadership model that doesn't value men over women or old over young, experienced over inexperienced, or any single leader over the rest of the team. It's a leadership model that values all the stories and experiences.
1: Right. I mean, I asked this question today to Mandy, like, what does, what does it even mean to have experience? Right. Like, what does that mean to be like, they're not good enough because they don't have experience? Well, of course they have
0: experience. Right. Everybody has an
1: experience right. of Their the world. experience
0: just doesn't fit into the box you want it to fit into.
1: Right. Esther M. Bronner observes, and I'm going to quote her, We were women before we were Jews, Christians, Muslims. It seems only natural history, and just, therefore, to make religion respond to our origins. This moment reflects experiences as women provide the necessary common ground for such
0: borrowing and sharing. Right, that's exactly it. The experience of being a woman is... Experience The experience of being a child is experience, right? We, all of those, those identities, of which all of us have many, um, help us to form our thoughts and our opinions on any particular moment. And to imagine that those women sitting there didn't have experience, didn't have um, prior knowledge, didn't have something to bring to the table is really quite stupid.
1: <laughs> it is. Well, you know, and, and the fact that, like, we read this as Paul came up and said this thing, and we believed them, and we submitted, and then we were Christians. Or we can tell the story like Paul came up, and we were so confident in what we were doing that we didn't actually have to have all kinds of echo about it. Right. we could just invite him to tell his story and his experience and it was calm cool and collected and so Lydia and those women did not seem threatened by this new proposal in fact she was radically hospitable and modeled a leadership that was quite flat valuing the stories and experiences of not only the women just sitting there but also Paul and his you know posse his gang of people that I know he wasn't you know traveling alone we all do and while she decided to get baptized she didn't seem to get up inherently give up inherently who she was or how she led the community like there was a big aunt like i'm going to be baptized because this sounds like this Jesus model already fits into my framework mm-hmm. as a woman in the first century. So, okay, I'll go ahead and do this. But it didn't feel like she was also giving up who she had already been.
0: Right. I mean, it actually is super calm, cool and collected, right? Mm-hmm. She uh, to actually read the scripture text there, she says to them, "If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay." Like all right, cool. We're, we're already in agreement. Right. It's shout-out time! La Forêt Conference and Retreat Center is an open and affirming retreat, conference, and camping site ministry of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ, providing sanctuary for all who consider the transcendent issues of life, including children, youth, and adult groups.
1: Laforet is located in the Black Forest of Northern Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: Laforet is just down the road from the church we serve, Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ. To learn more about Laforet, check out their website at www.laforet.org. Today's question comes from Karina Hurst. Karina works as the Program and Development Associate for La Conference and Retreat Center. She also has lots of experience working in congregations within our area. We love Karina and the perspective she brings to the church. Here's her question.
1: There's an unusual rift in mainline church culture between ministerial staff, other staff, and lay leaders. This can help with boundaries, but I think it can also stifle investment sometimes. Have you ever seen a ministry or church that does a great job at letting regular staff and lay people imagine, lead, and build their own ministries without honestly abusing and running over their capable pastoral staff? Karina, we love you. We do. Karina has um, worked with me at a couple of places and she is um, a a real gift and has a a very um, creative, Um, lens on the church and the way she articulates it um is like so clear and different and beautiful and um and it's her own experience right Mm -hmm. like um she has her own experience that might not be the experience of someone else and so your question is really interesting um of what we do today and how both clergy and congregants understand the organization of the church um, that comes, I think, largely from what we've learned um, through our biblical story. Mm-hmm. But I also think that this question also comes a little bit out of, and I'm not sure, Karina, if this is what you're talking about, but I but I think it's coming out of that rejection of patriarchy. Um, the church like super established and strong structures around leadership process procedures and liturgy that were created like centuries ago by men and that have essentially omitted women's roles. And, you know, what we understand today about... Originally, it was omitting women's roles and experiences, but I think we even see today that it omits um, anybody who's on the margins. Right,
0: anyone who is different.
1: Anybody, you know, someone who doesn't have enough money, someone who decides to have babies early, someone who um, might not look. Like the rest of the congregation. So they um, might not be white, upper middle class people. Um, and so we see that um, a lot. Again, Mandy and I are always talking from the lens of women because, you know, that's, that's who we are. Um, also, interesting about this text in your question, Karina, um, it's full disclosure I was never taught that Paul was a super bad guy. Right. Um, I was, you know, I know that there are many, many people out there who, um, who were taught this text in a way that is super duper damaging and even, even Paul was super damaging to their understanding of Christianity and so I just want to, um, acknowledge that, um, my professor at Iowa School of Theology, the Reverend Dr. Eric Smith, wrote a book called Paul the Progressive, question mark, The Compassionate Christian Guide to Reclaiming the Apostle as an Ally. And he says in relationship to women in worship and leadership roles that Paul's words can be unclear. When that is the case, and to help understand what he is talking about, we should always look to his actions to help us understand them. Paul's actions speak volumes. So Dr. Smith says, in Paul's churches, women prayed and prophesied right alongside.
0: So it's it's almost like we need to cultivate a ministry team that's not stuck within the lead pastor, associate pastor, educated, not educated, theologically trained or not, ordained in a specific way or not, but to cultivate people to equip the community to do the work. Process and tradition are not bad. They can create healthy boundaries, but they can also create teams and ministries that are toxic because we are bound to a system created within the lens of this patriarchal imagination. The question is, how do we discern this, right? When do we step outside of those boundaries? And when are those boundaries really important um, to how we organize our structures, right? And this is a subject that is of significant importance and interest to Marta and I um, at Black Forest Community Church. And I think throughout our work that we've done both together and in separate places, like crafting teams that are um, really well balanced can be challenging. Very
1: challenging, and I, you know, I'm thinking, um, thinking a lot of things. I'm thinking about some of the staff teams that I've been on, mm-hmm. and how, um, how outrageously hard it has they have been. Mm-hmm. Those teams have been. Um, it's almost like you're on this team, you have a lot to offer the church, but you're not quite seen all the way, and um, or like you have to stay within this particular container um, or or you can't fully live in to what you're called to do because mm-hmm. there is this structure and container that you have to stay, stay in. And so um, it feels like spirit doesn't move as mm-hmm. freely as spirit needs to move in mm-hmm. order to do the work of the church. In feminist movements that... In feminist movements there there, there there have been lots of tensions um, because they're rejecting authority and there are roles of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, all in favor of sort of communalism or at least shared leadership. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's tension is where we get flipped up. Right. You know, I, um, my therapist recently said that, you know, all of us who get into really like hard, difficult tension place, figure out ways to relieve that, mm-hmm. to sort of relieve that pain mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. So whether it's keeping busy, um, or, you know, it's going and exercising or it's turning on your favorite show and um, or whatever it is, you know, going out to a party, we, we, we want to not feel that tension, mm-hmm. right? Like it's mm-hmm. super hard. And so we figure out these ways to not do it. And honestly, I think the church, the way that it deals with that tension on a global level is to create these really structures, strict yeah. structures. Yeah. So it feels comfortable. But what if like it was never meant to, to be really comfortable right right? well i
0: mean i'm thinking about what we talked about in our in our last episode around the need for church to be messy right this need for things to not fit into these nice clean boxes because the spirit can't move in in authentic and real ways right Um, but gosh as human beings we are just so dedicated to straightening things out, to making things fit, to figuring out um, those boundaries and those structures. And again, like those boundaries and structures can be helpful, but when we rely on those boundaries and structures without engaging um, context and personality and relationship and all of those other things, then, I mean, they're not helpful. Right. I
1: mean, remember what we said at the beginning is that the turning over the tables um, comes out of this place where you're feeling oppressed. And also in that moment of turning the tables over because you're feeling oppressed and you're mad and you're angry and frustrated and it's all like the hellish things of the world. um, It also points to transformation and hope. Mm -hmm. So it is, again back to those tensions and what does it look like to be at those tensions okay here's a little bit of my radical for this week and this sort of came out of a conversation i had with a corgi person um that is that is not in my immediate part of my world um and we were having a conversation about staffing structures which i think goes back to Karina's question um and and we talked about what is what does it mean to you know, call or hire someone who, I don't know, here's the radical thing you're friends with. What? I know. And, you know, hiring someone that you're friends with, you know, I know is cringing a lot of people out there who might listen to this, like, oh my gosh, that's such boundary issues. Um, but what if that person um, knows you well, can see you, understand your vision, Um, you know already has awesome work ethic also has a lot of creative um, pieces to bring to that team Um, how rich our body that ordains clergy has a criteria and also gives us criteria for calling ordained pastors within our you know within our church context but what if we set up a different criteria That was all grounded in relationship and communalism and radical hospitality and experimenting. That would be pretty amazing. Um, There have been so many times that groups of ministerial staff have come together and simply not liked each other or didn't get each other's gifts, of vision, but they had followed, and I'm using air quotes, like the appropriate process. Right. Um, For calling the minister, so it is still within, and I use air quotes again, appropriate guidelines, but they, like, all hate each other.
0: Right, and then they feel super stuck in that space because they've followed this protocol that was supposed to work, and so then they don't feel like they have a way to get out of it, and I think what, like... The the most compelling word there that you use, Marta, is experiment for me, right? Like I think when I look back at um, the way that we have come to where we are right now, um, Marta was serving Black Forest Community Church, and I came on... A very very small scale at the beginning to do some worship and music and help support um, as they transitioned into you know needing someone to lead music on Sunday mornings and we thought creatively about what that might look like and you know tried to really like break outside of those boundaries but one of the things I think that was so freeing about that exper- experience is that we said from the start, let's try this for a couple of months. And there was always this understanding that this might end up being a complete disaster. This might actually not work um, and that will be okay. That 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 actually is not a failure, right? I shouldn't have even used the word disaster. Like it just might not work and that's okay. And then we'll move on from there and you can find the person that you need in this role in the way that that needs to happen. But we kept our eyes and our hearts open to how that might expand and explore because we had this sense of experimenting right and I think as we think about Karina's question um I I, there's no experiment experimentation in that main line model of this is the role for ministers, this is the role for lay leaders, this is the role for program staff. You have to stay in that role and you don't ever get to experiment. And I know that there are people who have gifts within the church that never ever get explored because they've just stayed in their in their box. There are, like, I'm thinking about women who were clearly called to ministerial work but they were married to ministers and so they had to fill in that pastor's wife role and they never got to live into their true calling right because that sense of experimentation was completely devoid right right FYI, at the very beginning, when
1: Roger f- took his first church, I announced that I was going to be a really crappy minister's wife, <laughs> and so we had to experience, experiment right from the beginning. Right. So here are some questions. Um, who is really good at a specific role? Who is feeling called to a position that um, you might know of, but think they... Maybe they can't get there. Um, Who gets your vision for the church and is inspired by the work and wants to be a part of it? Who is your friend in faith? Who is really smart and capable but has no formal theological training that would be awesome on your team? Maybe that's how ministry teams are created.
0: We don't have all the answers. We don't have any. We, all we did was just give Karina more questions. That's we, what we do. But we
1: hope this conversation inspires you. Where is Jesus this week? Jesus has left the building. If you are looking for Jesus, he is not in the church. For Colorado Springs locals, a great new joint has opened up in downtown Colorado Springs, and we wanted to give a shout out to the team at Epiphany, enlightenment and exploration, a cafe, restaurant, and bar. Epiphany is a community gathering space that brings people, ideas, and experiences together. Find it at 32 South Tejon. Jesus is hanging out there listening to music and chowing on some Latin food. If you're not a local, Find an awesome gathering space that also brings people, ideas, and experiences together. Gathering shared stories and human experiences is gold.
0: The School of Earth and Soul will be hosted at La Fere Conference and Retreat Center on May 6-8, 2022. John Philip Newell founded the School of Earth and Soul. He did it in the belief that Celtic wisdom is needed at this moment in time, urgently. It's a spiritual tradition in the Christian household that can nurture a vision of mind, the strength of soul, the strength of soul, and the compassion of action. LaFerré is pleased to welcome John Philip Newell for this retreat. On site and commuter options will be available. The registration is coming soon, so watch for that and find Jesus in nature.
1: Feminist work is hard, especially in the confines of the church building. Sometimes sitting in your favorite chair and reading a book that inspires is where Jesus shows up. We want to give a shout-out to author Marjorie Proctor-Smith, who wrote, In Her Own Right, Constructing Feminists' Liturgical Tradition. This book is mostly for those serving churches and for those people interested in grounding their work in feminism in a bit of table-turning liturgy. Education is everything.
0: Understanding the Apostle Paul in the midst of feminist work is also hard. To do the hard work of unpacking this complicated Apostle, we recommend the book Paul the Progressive, The Compassionate Christian's Guide to Reclaiming the Apostle as an Ally by Eric Smith, a pastor at First Plymouth Congregational Church in Inglewood, Colorado, and Assistant Professor of Early Christianity and Contemporary Christian Practices at Iliff School of Theology. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation, or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com slash jhltb to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories we give thanks to black forest community church and the tributary fund of the rocky mountain conference of the united church of christ for their ongoing support we could not do this without all who support jesus has left the building